Hello everyone and welcome to the Bola Bola Show. And uh, as you know, uh, we are all still under the lockdown mode, MCO mode here in Malaysia. All of us still sitting down at home. So uh, it's me, Elvin, now on the mic. And uh, I would like to bring in my two co-hosts as well. So how's it going, Bala? Hi everyone, how are you doing? I'm kind of a lucky guy because I'm still under ancestral service so I'm still able to go out. But I need to rush back before 8 o'clock because roadblocks are everywhere. Uh, how about you, Sivan? Having a same old time? Okay, hello everyone. So, even though, yes, I'm part of a central service, but uh, my company so far has been uh, pretty flexible enough to allow me to continue to work from home on a full-time basis for now. Uh, well, that's one part of it. But of course, you know, I sort of like miss the outside world. So hopefully, hopefully we will find a solution to all this. We will beat this uh, pandemic and, you know, we can start resuming our life. But Yeah, great to, always, great, great to yeah. hear that, Stephen. So, yeah. Stephen... Uh, we have somebody special on the show today. Would you like to introduce to us? Of course, of course. Okay. As yeah. you all know, um, football, I mean, maybe the game has stopped, but the conversation will always continue. So for that, we have decided to bring someone who I'm very sure people on Twitter probably knows him as in the football player, but maybe not knows him as the person. So without further ado, let's welcome everyone, Marco Negri to our Bola Bola Show podcast. Hey guys, how are you? Thanks for having hey, me on the show. Welcome, man. I'm Marco. not a player, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just tweet by the name, but I'm not. I'm not him. <laughs> I'm not him yeah, yeah. as a player, you know. <laughs> okay, so basically, the biggest news this week in football, I would say, without a doubt, is the takeover involving Newcastle United. But you know, we're gonna go a bit nostalgic uh, back to the season where. I would say for many Newcastle fans, they would probably say that this is the one that got away. Uh, of course, in one of our previous episodes, we talked about Blackburn. It was a happy episode for Bala. Not so much happy for you, Elwin. But in this season, of course, you had all the happiness. But without a, question, without a doubt, I think I would say the most entertaining team of that season, I'm sure you'll agree with, with me, Marco, was Newcastle United, right? That's right. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Um... Well, uh, how I uh, how I started to get to know about uh, Newcastle was actually much earlier. This was uh, in the in the nineteen ninety the early nineteen nineties. How I when I first started watching the English game, you know, um, this was a time in Malaysia where there was no internet, and the only source of information I don't know about you guys then, you know, but for me, were there were two uh, magazines that uh, called Shoot and Match. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see, I, I knew I, I was going to get all our, all our pocket money, our savings, and all that. <laughs> Same thing, you know. Um, it's so different. When you, when you look at back then, you know, and, and what it is today, you know, if you, if you want to have, a, if you need information about, you know, Blackburn or, you know, clubs like Nottingham Forest or, you know, some of the lower leagues club, you just, you know, it's just... Within fingertips, you know, you just uh, look him up on Google, and you know, you have and within a few seconds, you'd be you know well appraised of the latest developments. But back then, you have to rely on shoot and match. So that was uh, what happened to me as well, you know. So I was buying these uh, magazines uh, faithfully, you know, just to get my dose of uh, what was going on in the English game, you know. And I started uh, in 1990 within an, uh, 1992-93 when the Premier League was in its uh, in, in its model years. 
obviously the draw at the time was you know Manchester United the more established clubs but there was I remember there was one um, edition of uh, I think it was shoot that had a special on Newcastle a club called Newcastle at the time you know Newcastle United which was very early to me winning the first uh, division championship you know this was a club led by Kevin Keegan of course we knew Kevin who Kevin Keegan was as a player in Liverpool so so that was when I got it sort of intrigued me you know but uh, that that uh, this is a this is an up and coming club and you want to see you know how Kevin was going to take them up because you know you you read that you know that uh, Sir John Hall was the first chairman and he uh, he brought in good players you know Rob Lee uh, Bob Andy Cole you know was 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 also starting out and that year but as Stephen said definitely 1995 uh, season 95-96 uh, for a lot of people for a lot of fans was the season that. Newcastle introduced itself to uh, as, as as a football power that is connected with, you know, so to speak. So yeah, I think uh, the build up within that win, uh, uh, that first uh, division win up to the 95, 95, 96 season was spectacular in a sense that the northeast club, the northeast clubs were really, you know, showing themselves as a force to be reckoned with, you know, under Keegan. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, uh, Elvin, of course, when you look at the squad, that Newcastle team, I mean, they had pretty, a lot of exciting names. I mean, maybe you want to share a little bit on who are those players then? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so, so the, the Newcastle squad indeed uh, had, had lots of uh, interesting, interesting players and all that. And, uh, you know, in goalkeeper, of course, at the time, uh, you, you guys had a dilemma, I think, right, between Chaka Islop and then Pavel Srinicek came in at the second second part of the, the season, right? And then, of course, uh, you know, like what you mentioned, uh, Rob Lee. Uh, I think, overall, the Newcastle, the Newcastle team, they, were, they, were, they, were, they had this firepower, right, Marco, uh, Marco up front, but... Yeah. Don't you think the defense they were they were suspect suspect at the back uh, de- defensive wise? What, 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 what do you think? There was the uh, I think button button was on the yeah. right thing on the right right. Better put on the left. Peacock. So yeah, like Darren Peacock. In the, yeah, Darren Peacock as well. So yeah, so 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 basically these were the these are the names la, the the household names of the Newcastle squad at that time. See what yeah. And Marco, any anything you want to mention? Yeah, about I think guys? Um, again, I'll just go back to how uh, how Nikasa were trying to uh, uh, establish themselves as a, as a, as a football powerhouse in the English game. You know, they invested uh, for that season itself. You know, Sir John Hall who was the chairman, then you know brought his millions with him and invested in big players. You know, uh, Les Ferdinand. I mean, we we talk about the attacking side. Of things you have Les Ferdinand, you know, you have Davis, you know, like, you know, definitely one of the best minions uh, playing in English game at the time. Um, Faustino Esprila, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> was my favorite, you know. Uh, he came in, uh, he came in uh, earlier in, 19, uh, in early 1960 the season, but definitely one of those that lit up uh, Newcastle's attack, uh, you know. But, the uh, 95 96, I mean, just going into uh, how these players were performing, I think it was a great, uh, definitely, you, I can agree with you that, you know, there were some, I mean, they were attacking a side and player of things. You were, you were seeing the goals uh, being scored and they were taking a commandable lead. Uh, 
within the league standings uh, you know, by January 1996. But as you said, you know, you uh, with the issues of you know such as focus and you know uh, defense, they had a good goalkeeper. You know, it's either Chaka Hitchcock or Smithy, but. You know, that was unfortunate thing. You know, when when you when you have other issues like defense, you know, that you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it it sort of it, it gives it, it doesn't quite help. You know, and then when Manchester United having Cantona back in the team, that that that, that actually propelled. I mean, after serving a long lengthy suspension, so that I think uh, didn't help Newcastle as well. So so yeah, and and when you look at uh, Les Ferdinand. <laughs> Isn't that the guy is like a beast, right? He's like an unstoppable train, right? You just look at the guy when he's when imagine Les Ferdinand running at a defender. I know <laughs> I wouldn't want to be that defender, man. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, it was one of the best signings that uh, in attack that uh, yeah, Keegan invested because it was it was a type of football that Keegan wanted, Keegan wanted to bring to Newcastle when he wanted to have that attacking and he wanted to ensure that. Uh, the goals going in, you know? so it was important that he invested into uh, the right striker like uh, Les Ferdinand. You know, uh, for Esprilla, for me, he he came in uh, to Newcastle also at the right time. You know, he was at his peak uh, in Parma, yeah, in Syria. I mean, when you think about what Newcastle, a club like Newcastle, were able to do at the time, you know, I mean, Syria was uh, was at the time it was still the best league in Europe. You know, and this is Esprilla coming from. Parma team, which uh, you know, which had uh, you know, which had finished Trans-Syria. in the in the third, fifth, you know, minimum third in Serie A or fifth in Serie A, rather. and they were able to reach the European Cup final, you know, in the nineteen, you know, uh, within within the earlier seasons, and they even made it to the Coppa Italia. That's right, and this was and a player and a player of Asprilla's stature coming to a club like Newcastle to me at the time was. You know, was a, was a big draw, I, and I would say, um, you know, and I'm sure that a lot of people, I mean, a lot of fans worldwide would have uh, would have started supporting Newcastle thanks to this, um, you know, investment uh, into the players. Number one, or uh, exciting players like Spina and and number two, uh, the type of football that they were making. Because <laughs> I think a lot of people were rooting for a club that could replicate or emulate what Blackburn did. You know, the season before, which was, you know, one of those underdogs, you know, being able to stop the dominance of Manchester United, Liverpool, and others, you know, from winning the league. So they wanted a club like Newcastle, you know, to be able to do the same. So everyone was suddenly, you know, you know becoming a Newcastle fan and they wanted Newcastle to be, to be the team, you know, to do it in the 95 and 96 season. Right. Of course, uh, by February, Newcastle were at the top of the table with 12 points. I think uh, at that point of time, everyone's money will be on them to finally win their first league title since the 1920s, if I'm not mistaken. But where did it all go wrong? I mean, Marco, is there anything you can share on which aspect that it will all go wrong? Um, okay, I think uh, it's, again, if, uh, I, I must say that the dropping of points didn't help. I mean, first we talk about the surge of Manchester United. You know, um, they were. I mean, by January they were. They were. They. I mean, they were losing. But I mean, it's not losing. They were. They were behind by ten points, rather. You know, and they were bolstered by the return of Cantona. Again, as I said, you know, from, from a very long, lengthy suspension, and he drove that team uh, so good. You 
you know, that they were able to enjoy a surge in form. And then as for Newcastle, they were suddenly dropping vital points, you know, away. If I remember correctly, there were some big games, some important games away. West Ham, uh, Manchester City, some of it, you know, they needed to win. But they were dropping points and they, they, they didn't get the point. Because Manchester United were sorry. And then there was a and then there was a game at St James's Park in March, uh, which uh, Alex Ferguson won. Uh, Alex Ferguson's team won, you know, and that actually ended Newcastle's uh, home record in the league, you know. And they and they suddenly their the lead was cut to a single point, you know. <laughs> so it became harder to 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 to, to defend that, that 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 you know league the league standing, you know, for them. And then as, 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 as we all remember, I mean, they were suffering defeats after that as well, you know, to us, uh, to the, and of course, to that, to that Liverpool game, you know, which has been dubbed the greatest uh, Premier League game uh, in history. Yep, uh, yep. So, of course, and uh, that, you know, you just, they just simply allowed Manchester United to overtake them and then it just became impossible for them to, uh, to sort of catch up, unfortunately. Yep. In fact, uh, looking back at the MU game, I need to share, I will share something with you guys. Uh, of course, with four points different, I knew that this is the game where it will either make or break Newcastle season. And throughout the game, I was seeing Newcastle were attacking from all angles. Some of the efforts saved by Schmeichel, some of the effort hit the bar. I know deep down, that's what, <laughs> against Man United with Eric Cantona, there's only one outcome in a game like this. And Elwin, what is the outcome? One nil Cantona. <laughs> as soon as when that happened, I knew okay. I think this is game over. I mean, it looks like I'm going to win the game. I mean, that game was definitely. I mean, Newcastle were fully in control, right? They were really pounding uh, MU left, right, center, half time. You know, they were completely in control, and then uh, you know, then you had that 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 break on the. I think on the left hand side, the cross came in, and Cantona. Uh, half volley into the into the net, so the rest is history. Yeah, uh. yeah. Yep. And in fact, the in fact you mentioned Liverpool's game. You know, I have to say this also. Yeah. Newcastle team were a very exciting team, but they yeah. were even more exciting when they lose games because that Liverpool game was one of the most dramatic game. I mean, Bala, what what, yeah. what what happened that game for Kevin Keegan? I think the match was very interesting, and then after the three-three draw. For the last minute, I think stand the stand the man or stand the Collymore scored that vital winning goal. But uh, of course, people were looking at the celebration. One thing caught me was the uh, Kevin Keegan. He I remember he closed his face with his shirt. Uh, did he did he lost it or because you see most of the managers who try to compose players where they fall down and they try to have some kind of uh, what do you call that uh, sadness or grief, but. You see the manager, you still try to keep their sadness between their heart or anything. Uh, so Kevin Keegan basically lost it. How do you feel? I think is it the manager lost control of the situation or is it that this was it? Yeah. Well, well I think, uh, you know, that game was uh, uh, for Kevin uh, Keegan, sorry, I think it was a bit of, uh, you know, some miscalculation. Uh, some miscalculation on his part. You know, they they, they knew that the strategy uh, going into that game was you know they needed to win or they needed to get points. You know, just to uh, just to uh, you know keep 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 their title uh, chances alive. Yeah, I mean this is a situation where you know uh, Keegan just wanted to uh, to play his uh, open attacking game. You know, and then uh, you have a 
Stan Collymore, which is, you know, which was playing extremely well in that game, you know, uh, making it 3-3, you know, um, after Newcastle having to, you know, having been able to beat. But still, Kevin wants, uh, Kevin Keegan still wants, uh, you know, to go for the field, you know, he wants, he wants to win, despite his players being very exhausted, you know, because you're talking about a football action which was, you know, 100 miles per hour, you know, people, uh, they were, they were, they were very exhausted from that game. And then when you have a defensive, uh, a flagging defensive line that was un- unable to mark uh, players, you know, upon being exhausted by such a, such a fast game, you know, Colima was able to, you know, put one in past uh, Pebble Stream check. And that was when, you know, when we were talking about, you know, Keegan uh, something despairingly, despairingly in the dugout. Um, so to me, again, it was a matter of uh, Keegan slightly miscalculated the whole tempo of the game, despite wanting to go for the win, I think he, he, he didn't judge a fan or you're a Newcastle fan. I mean, it, it has to be a game that you know that would, that would sort of stuck to your mind. I mean, for a New, for a Newcastle fan, it's it's probably a mixed. Uh, it's one of those mixed memories, you know, that that that, that you want to remember uh, about, you know. I mean, your team having to lose that game despite playing beautifully. You know. So yeah, I think uh, yeah, that's that's, that's that's as much as I as as I can say about that game. Mm-hmm, okay, and of course, uh, that season will also will go down in history for another infamous moment for not just for Newcastle but also in English Premier League history. The, the Keegan ran on television. I mean, still, it's still something that keeps is is fresh in everybody's memory. I mean, would you say, Marco, at that point of time, it's considered like United's title for the? Uh, it's already theirs in their hand. Well, I mean, this is another. I mean, what what is 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 typical of what we see in football even today. You know, these are just those uh, mind games that the managers uh, play on each other. You know. So this was exactly what was happening also, you know, just, uh, just a, it's a refresher for, for those listening in. You know, it's, um, uh, Keegan was saying, uh, Keegan was being interviewed on, uh, I think it was Sky Sports or it was on TV. I think we all saw that clip on YouTube, you know, closer to, to the title, you know, uh, to closer to the end of the season, you know, and his team was winning at Leeds. And uh, I will love it. Red was, uh, you know, was a manifestation of uh, of his uh, irritation towards the comments made by Alex Ferguson. You know, I mean, because Ferguson was uh, stoking tensions when he casted doubts on, uh, you know, the commitment of, uh, you know, opposing teams such as Leeds and Nottingham Forest uh, were not trying as hard against uh, Newcastle as they did against <laughs> Manchester United. You know, I mean, this is. Uh, uh, this is just another one of those mind games that that that, that I think that you know that 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 make Keegan lose this uh, cool and it, it adds up to um, actually it's you know when he said I you know I would love it if you beat them I mean that that yeah I mean that 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 image uh, you know stayed in a lot of people's uh, minds and memories but it made up for a very exciting uh, football uh, competition you know in, in, in that season so so yeah. Okay. Marco, do you feel that uh, maybe Keegan has directly fallen into the traps of Ferguson? Yes, I mean, uh, I think I think he did, he did not uh, respond 
<laughs> Personally, I mean, I think the best approach to mind games is that uh, is that you play play them carefully, you know, and then especially, you know, when at the heat of the moment and you're talking on television or to a bunch of press, you know, like, like we see today in the English Premier League, you know, Jose Mourinho and some of his managers, you know, they get easily agitated by some of the comments made by uh, opposing people. So, so I think, um, yeah, I mean, Keegan, it made up for good TV, when Keegan said that, you know, but otherwise, even today, you know, when you see Mourinho or whichever manager that, that you know, that just uh, ejects from his seat just because, you know, you get annoyed at some of the comments made to, to him by the journalists or even uh, the opposing manager. But, but yeah, I think uh, it's, it's probably one, uh, you don't have to, but for the theatrics and, you know, for football entertainment, <laughs> you know, for TV, I think, I think it's one of those, it's, it's one of those fun times, it's one of those fun things that they do. Even when you play football manager, you know, um, uh, on, you know they, 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 you have to choose um, um, six or yeah, six or seven options as uh, responses to, to either an opposing manager or journalist. You know, so so some some of the some of the choices have uh, very bizarre answers, and I never did click on them to be honest to see what happened to the morale of my of my team. You know. So so I, I'm 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 a very safe uh, football manager player. You know, to uh, media management per se. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, all right. So with that, we will wrap up this segment and coming up next, we will look into the Bobby Robson and Mike Ashley era. our next segment and as mentioned earlier we're going to focus on first on the Bobby Robson era now Marco uh, you know Newcastle in the post 96 season you know they didn't I mean the, a lot of the promises that supposed to happen you know the signing of Shera for world record transfer fee that's supposed to finally deliver them a Premier League title that didn't happen Keegan left I think Douglas was hanging there for a while Ruth Gullit sexy football wasn't so sexy at all then came Bobby Robson. I mean, that sort of like revitalized the club extremely well, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I extremely agree. You know, I think the problem with uh, Gullit was that um, he lost the dressing room uh, immensely. I mean, immensely, you know. I mean, from, from the top to bottom, there were people not... I mean, the, the players were not playing for him, you know. So you needed was an emergency situation in Newcastle that you needed someone who could fix this, you know, and fix it well, you know, because when Bobby, prior to Bobby Robson coming to Newcastle, the team was languishing at the bottom of the league and this was unthinkable, you know, you, you, you don't want to mention, and this was just, you know, within a couple of games in the season, you know, when when when, when Gulli left. So he lost, he totally lost the dressing room and the club needed somebody who could, you know, put things back together the way they were. So Bobby, uh, Bobby Robson came in and basically brought, you know, life back to, to, to the team, you know, to the dressing room. You know, uh, Alan Shearer was uh, being dropped by Gullit. I mean, you don't do that to your club, <laughs> you know, to, the, to your club legend, you know. I mean, the, the, and he did that. You know, so. So uh, Bobby Robson uh, established uh, sort of uh, 
what what they would call then as a blue chip brigade. You know, these are the boys that he would the senior in the teams that he would rely on to to, to help shape up the team again. You know, it was Shera, uh, Rob Lee, Shea Given, and Warren Button and Steve Harper. You know, so they were all uh, sort of the troops uh, that were loyal to uh, to Sir Bobby and you know to help him bring the squad again. You know. So they were meeting together again. You know, Bobby Robson. Uh, made them wear suits again, you know, and meet at the hotel team match. This was to boost up their morale, you know, and to, to make them feel as a, as a unit again. Uh, simple things, but, you know, it, it helped to um, improve uh, the team's performance on the field and, and, and you know, the mentality in the long run. So they were, you know, so, so they, had a, they had a safe season. I mean, they were safe that season, you know. So, so a lot of the players that, you know, under Gullit, you know, some didn't even have a squad number, you know, like they would be totally sidelined and not being used as much as they should. You know? Like Rob Lee, Robert Lee, you know. Under uh, Robson, they were becoming leaders, uh, you know, on the field. You know, um, Robson, during his time, you know, players like Nikos Dabizas, uh, my favourite, Norberto Solano, you know, from Peru, they, they suddenly became important, you know. So they were frustrated under the previous regime and Bobby Robson, again, as I've said, you know, brought life and took out the frustration from, from these days. It's like, I see they went back, uh, you know, to town. So yeah, so this, uh, the, I would say Bobby Robson did it by bringing back the basics to the club and had, uh, you know, senior players guiding, you know, the, 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 the younger ones. Um, themselves. So, so that really made him successful manager in his first years at, 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 at Newcastle. Okay. And of course, uh, you know, the the arrival of Bobby Robson also, you know, propelled Newcastle into the Champions League era. And Bala, of course, your Juventus team were in the same group with them. I mean, what a season yeah. that was for Newcastle. I think uh, Newcastle was doing, I think first three games they lost. Uh, in fact, they didn't score a single goal against uh, any team. I think the group consists of the Feyenoid, uh, Juventus, of course, and also Dynamo Kiev. Uh, in, despite, I, I think on the paper, there would be a direct fight between the Newcastle and Dynamo Kiev and Fiona because Juventus were expected to top the group. So I think the top, especially with the Dynamo Kiev with the previous history of the Champions League, uh, wouldn't be that hot, should be a favourite. But uh, after the first three games, I think they did poorly. Came into the fourth game, uh, Newcastle with St. James Park expected to loss again to Juventus. And Bearing in mind Juventus uh, in the Champions League final against Milan, uh, of course we don't want to talk about the final against uh, Milan. <laughs> <laughs> but I think uh, uh, Newcastle did beat Juventus with the Andrew Andrew Griffin goal. And subsequently, they able to come back uh, with the sponsor two goals, the two games, and they beat uh, Dynamo Kiev in uh, in uh, Saint James Park as well, and also beat the Feyenoord away with the Bellamy scored an uh, incredible last minute goal. Uh, what do you think of Ori Marco Negri? I think he's been, uh, after the first three games, I think he would have lost all the hopes. But after that, I think uh, hope came back very strongly and he moved on to the second phase of the group stages. As a fan, how did you went through this uh, roller coaster? Yeah, well, I think uh, they did see a lot of, I mean, when you talk about uh, Champions League football, so that season was sort of a pinnacle season for Newcastle. I mean, they, there were moments in the past, you know, when uh, Sprilla scored a hat-trick against Barcelona, but uh, overall, well, was it a successful campaign? Uh, not, not, not really, you know, they were just uh, 
highlights of uh, their achievements uh, in the Champions League. Some of the games that they were able to uh, pull off, you know. But this season, I mean, this uh, this uh, for that 2002 and 2003 Champions League, definitely there was it was one of the highlights, you know, that 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 Sir Bobby was able to bring uh, in the Champions League campaign, you know. Uh, to me personally, I think. Um, Again, you know, we were talking about it earlier. It was an issue of Newcastle never having never having able to fix their defensive line. You know, at the time it was uh, Robbie Elliott, uh, Andy O'Brien, Nicholas Davizas. You know, in the English game, they were they were they, uh, they added Titus, uh, adding Titus Bramble to that. You know, in the English game, this was probably what people would have called a nationwide uh, a Champions League, a Championship defense. You know, mm-hmm. as opposed to a Champions League. <laughs> uh, you know, yes. uh, defense. You know, uh, but but they had a great forward line. You know, I mean, they 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 had some good strikers. You know, here and everybody else was leading the line. You know, so uh, it, it 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 meant that they were going to have a tough uh, campaign. But they managed to make it to the next uh, group stage. Uh, you know, they they um, you the way to look at it was that there was no side that had ever lost. You know, first their first three Champions League game, and again, and then being able to progress to the second uh, group stage, and this was, uh, you know, again what what Sir Bobby was able to achieve with this team. Again, you must remember also that you know they went into uh, the tournament, you know, naively, yeah. you know, sort of strolling, you know, with that with, with those players that they had. You know, you're talking about, you know, uh, there was one time when they went against uh, what was it? I was by Leverkusen. Sorry, you know, it was. Yeah. Treso Lomano, Lualua, and Shola Amiobi was leading their line, you know, thanks to suspension. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like Craig Bellamy and the others, you know, but, you know, it, they were able to mature in such a short space, you know, that... You know, Lua, Lua, that that's right, that's right, you yes. know, in, in that short space, they were able to achieve a knockout place, you know, it was, you know, arguably deserved, you know, for them. I think that time Champions League was, they have a second stage of a group. I think even the that's group, true. they ended up with the Barcelona, Inter Milan, yeah, Leverkusen, like you said, and, and yeah. of course they beat the Leverkusen home in a way. Yeah, and uh, able to took some points from Inter Milan. Of course, they lost to Barcelona home in a way, but we, for me, I think as a Newcastle fan, it's still an achievement. Um, yeah. How, so I think, how, what what do you feel again? Once again, after coming very close of uh, qualifying to the knockout. Well, I think it, it goes back to the genius of uh, Sir Bobby, you know, um, in terms of how he was able to. Uh, to develop this team again, as I've said, you know, I think they themselves understood that they were being uh, uh, placed against, you know, I mean, Barcelona, Inter, you know, I, even even in the earlier stages, you know, they had uh, Juventus and all that. Uh, coming in with your set of players, you know, being Newcastle, not having uh, had, uh, you know, uh, a fantastic uh, European track record prior to that. You know, and with the set of players, like I said, you know, um, Tresolo, Mano, Lolwa, and Shole Amobi leading your, uh, you know, offensive line for some of the games, you know. I mean, this is, and, you know, this is probably not the way <laughs> to do it if you were to uh, get a commendable uh, position in, in, in Europe. You know, but I, I would definitely credit uh, Sir Bobby in terms of his genius and uh, his brilliance, you know, to, to, to guide this team. You know, to make them and to make them mature. You know, um, I, I I read that uh, that that moment that they went to Inter and played in Italy. You know, hundreds thousands of fans from uh, from England went. Mm-hmm. So so that was 
yeah, that was to me a fantastic moment for the club. You know, people people never thought that they would get there, but it happened. I mean, irrespective of them getting the end result that they wanted, uh, yeah, you know, it didn't matter. You know, it made up for a for a defining European campaign. You know. uh, but do you think the progress they were making under Bobby Robson was it a bit premature for Newcastle to you know re- release him from his job? Well, you know, I think. Um, See, this is the thing, you know, um, some people set uh, standards that are too high uh, for him to achieve, you know, uh, particularly the board in this case, you know. You know, the, the year that he was, uh, the season that he was sacked, uh, at the end of the season, they finished fifth in the mm-hmm. Premier League, you know, and they were able to reach the semi-finals of the UEFA Cup. You know, when you think about that and you look at the Newcastle today, I think everyone would have gladly accepted, you know, such a, you know, such a finish to the season by a Newcastle, by any Newcastle side, you know. But like I said, you know, some people had to just set um, very, very high standards and, you know, of the fact that, you know, they, they, they felt that he was not achieving as how he should. So, was it fair that he got sacked? I don't think so. You know, I don't think so. Just because that, you know, they, 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 I think maybe they had put so much hope on winning a trophy that you wait for the club, for example, you know, or any of the domestic trophies that they could have won, you know, that, that, that they were frustrated he was not able to deliver either one that cost him. His job, you know, and and, and you know this, uh, it, it didn't bode well when uh, there was uh, there was a big bust up as I read uh, between Sir Bobby and one of the uh, uh, board members, you know. So so it was uh, it was there was no way that they could uh, it was it was uncalled for, but it was one of those things where you know that it was going to be the end of uh, Sir Bobby. It was a bit unfortunate, and to me, he should have been at least been given. Another another season or so, because that moment on, you see, sort of the I mean the demise of the Newcastle that people love. Yeah, as you mentioned, you know, I mean, in the post, when the the Bobby Robson era finished, then came the the Mike Ashley era. So, Elwin, I mean, this is a a, a big con, like sort of like a yin and yang, right, between what they were during Bobby Robson's era, and then here comes Mike Ashley. You know how things turn around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yin and, and and very appropriate yin and yang, same colors as Newcastle. Yeah, so the the, <laughs> the, the black and white, we we, we see there. Uh, in fact, uh, Marco, this we we would like to get a bit into this Mike Ashley era now, right? So this this era, uh, as of today, is thirteen years old. I mean, it's thirteen years to to, to where it is today. We we are not sure what's gonna transpire after this coming soon uh, but you know Mike Ashley being the businessman that owns Sports Direct and uh, and all this in fact I think uh, I, I did read up about this a bit the guy during his beginning stage in fact was quite close to the fans he used to sit down with the with the fans and get involved with the away supporters going and watching games with, with them and all that so I think initially the fans were, were look, looked at this as some sort of optimism uh, but you know what what do you think are the problems during this chapter under Mike Ashley? Yeah. 
the first thing about uh, Mike Ashley, uh, you see, he's a he's self-made billionaire, you know. So to uh, self-made billionaire, he uh, he was running a successful business empire, uh, Sports Direct. Form. I think everybody knows yep. this cheese. I bought, I bought some. Uh, <laughs> some I think a lot of us bought something from sports. <laughs> we would have bought something, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. From the cheese, it was a, it was a very successful cheese. I mean, typically because of its pricing, you know, people love uh, buying things from sports. There, I don't know whether people would agree with me or not, but I think that was a model. It was uh, he was able to make. Uh, the chain successful because of the pricing. So the thing about um, that said, I mean, Mike Ashley was uh, was a good business person. Now, see, this actually became, and this is actually the problem when it came to football was that he wanted to run the football club, uh, which was which is because of United, like one of his business uh, operations, you know. So mm-hmm. so that. Is uh, that was probably the thing that 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 became the problem for for him. Now, as a fan, guys, you know, I think um, when you hear, you know, a new corner coming in, somebody like mine actually who had the billions in terms of worth and assets, the things that you would expect from him to do would be to you know to to invest in uh, in players, you know, in, in in new players, in exciting players, in the big names. But the things that he did uh, that, 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 you know, that didn't help himself with his fans were, you know, they were, they were very, they were very, it looks small time, you know, like, for example, he changed the name, you know, the name St. James's Park is so sacred, you know, you, know, yeah. you, don't, you don't mess with something like that. What did Mike actually did, he, he called it, he changed it to Sports Direct Arena. <laughs> when, when he took over, because he wanted to, yeah, because he wanted to. <laughs> You know, because he wanted to promote his uh, his business, you know, and he wanted to establish that, you know, the club is now one of his business entities, so to speak. You know? So, so as a fan, you you don't you don't you know, you, you just provoke hatred. You 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 know you sort of distance yourself from the fans mm. when you when you when you do these things. You know? Because I think the last thing that you want to do when you take over a club is that you do things that goes against the uh, history and tradition. Of how the club is, you know, you know, is used to and how it's how it's being run. You don't touch uh, things that are sacred to the club, like the name of the club, you know, or, uh, the name of the stadium, for example. You know, did some time had had similar issues. You know, when he was taking over Cardiff, you know, he was changing their home kit color, yeah. you know, <laughs> messing around with the club logo, you know. Yeah. So because because they were just you know they were just they, they were just bringing in their business. Uh, uh, acumen and logic into into exactly into the into the football operations, you know. So that really distanced himself from the fans, you know. Aside from him having some uh, some issues also with his uh, employees, as far as that, right, you know. But but yeah, and I think it's a situation that over the years became beyond repair, you know. And I think at one point he himself knew that it was one of the mistakes that uh, that that. that that he made, which was, you know, buying the club in 2007 when he shouldn't have. Hmm. So, uh, I mean, what, what, what about Mike Ashley and the managers, the football managers and all that? Because uh, he did bring back Kevin Keegan for a second spell, which only lasted uh, lasted like eight months, you know, even that that fell that fell down after that. So, um, is it, 
he didn't see uh, uh, there was no ambition from him in spending money doing making signings uh, did he did, were you aware of any like were there like possible like deals that were like almost to be signed and then the guy just pulled the plug you know where the manager got got you know cheesed off or something like that yeah uh, I didn't do enough research on uh, I think there were uh, I can't remember who the players were you know that that mm-hmm. that the scouted that the scouts uh, would have uh, would have shortlisted as you know potential signings but yeah. uh, I can't remember under which particular manager I mean definitely Rafa Benitez is the most famous uh, manager who uh, had to suffer uh, thanks to uh, <laughs> thanks to this uh, uh, you know this uh, first things uh, I mean these policies that that might actually impose on the club you know, which was uh, I don't have a lot of money to spend to begin with you know uh, I mean in the past you know you you can say that okay maybe you know when when he wanted to remove uh, Kagan for personal reasons you know maybe there was a past up or something like Glenn Roder you know uh, yeah. there was Glenn Roder there was a Sam Allardyce in the past you know uh, whatever that they were able to accomplish or not accomplish maybe there were merits to their sackings but I think universally any manager had to suffer under him was that uh, the choice of not wanting to invest in the players for example the players you know that 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 um, that the club should have purchased if they were serious on making a statement. I mean, you're talking about uh, Michael Owen being the most expensive signing the club has ever made. Uh, and this was 2004, season 2004-2005, you know, until uh, Miguel Almiron uh, came in January last year. You know, you're talking about mm-hmm. uh, a space of uh, 15 years until they actually <laughs> broke their own club record. You know, I mean, that was insane. Um, but but you must understand also, you know, I think from my Ashley standpoint, being a business person and knowing how much money had to be spent on operations itself, you know, paying uh, player wages, plus you're not making that much uh, profit anyway, uh, you know, from, from, from other, uh, from other source, or source of income overseas. So he wanted to, you know, so he wanted to ensure that he would still be able to get some returns, you know, he just decided to make sure that, you know, keep as I'm making, I'm able to make, you know, some money out of this venture, you know, and keep the club in the premiership, you know, while, while, while having those ambitions, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm happy, you know. So, so he did, he's one of those uh, owners that, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to invest uh, and, you know, make a loss or having to pay more at the end of the season. So, so he was that type of operator and any manager wouldn't have, so, 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 so this is this is. I think for any club, right? When when their owners and all that start to run this as a corporation or as a business, then there's always a thin fine line, like about wanting to spend money, uh, or wanting on the other end to make profit. Because okay, I I would like in fact open up this question to all of us here. Like, can you guys recall any club? I mean, I I can't really think of one except I think maybe Arsenal. Okay, who are also in a way not doing really well, but quite very profitable. You know, clubs that are actually making money, running, running and making money, and uh, showing a, a, a green, a green line profit and all that. But when you look at them in terms of results or, or championships and trophies, these guys are, yeah. are struggling. Yeah, I mean, so this this is the dilemma, I think, guys. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, in fact, when I was reading uh, this book called Soccer Soccernomics, it clearly says the rule of making your football club successful is to spend money. You spend money on your club. Okay, and because they always look back at your football club is sort of like, you know, like um, like an SRC project of your main company's business. You know, and so if you don't spend money, if you don't buy players, you don't invest in good squad and facilities and all that, it's impossible for any team to go that far. That's why Arsenal were able to just hang in there for a long time until when the moment they missed out of the Champions League football, that's when cracks started to, to appear everywhere. Yeah. Hmm. I think from my point of view, I think basically it's everything must take a business. There must be incoming and outgoing. So the fine balance is between how you want to balance it. Like you see Ajax, uh, maybe they have, they have maybe a business profit, maybe they sell players and they get return back of the investment. Or maybe like even Real Madrid, maybe they get the greatest players on earth and then try to try to try to replicate their, their success in terms of trophies and sponsorship. So at the end of the day, I think how we how actually the business strategy is done. So I think to be fair, it's very hard to do a final, but any business is making a loss, it ended up, I think even for now, any company, it's, it's a matter of how we how we actually what what a business model actually in terms of the mm. All right. Yeah, so so yeah, Marco. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'll just say that I think in the case of uh, Newcastle, you know, it's, I mean, this was the principle that Mike actually had adopted, you know, which was, you know, just rationalizing uh, the business, you know, in this case, the club, you know, minimize wages, minimize transfers, maximize your commercial value. I think he was holding on to these three principles with the absolute minimum target, which was surviving in the pre-meeting. Because to me, it appeared like that. You know, and as a fan, it, it takes a lot of patience yeah. for you to stick with that yeah. club if yeah. it was the if this was the policy that they wanted. And like I said, it was it, it cost him. You know, everybody wanted him off at the end of the day. So before we move, uh, you're saying something, Elvin? Yeah. Uh, so I mean, yeah. What 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 Marco said was correct. So 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 the the there's always this 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 issue here about clubs wanting to spend and. Uh, and not spend and, and increase commercial value. But to me, I think commercial value, you can increase your commercial value through success. But then again, if you want to get success, you've got to make the signings to get the success, right? So it's a, it's a nasty cycle there. So whether these guys are actually willing to take that plunge and do it or not. Yeah, yeah Stephen. Okay, before we move into the next segment, the fact that we are still in that Bobby Robson, Mike Ashley era within that space of 20 years, there's one important part of Newcastle that I think we forgot, which is the movie goal. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so in your opinion, Marco, where would Gavin Harris and Santiago Munez be among the greatest Newcastle players? <laughs> wow. Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> this is the toughest question I have to, uh, <laughs> uh, I have to answer, you know, but uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely among the very top, you know. I mean, I, I have my uh, yeah. I, a lot of players came and graced the club, you know, to, to different seasons. But those two are definitely at the very top. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's amazing that Hollywood, when they decided to venture into football, they picked Newcastle. There must be a reason. And yeah. The lot of things I learned is because of the fan base, the following, the support for the club. You know, that that passion part. So I can understand why they actually picked. Newcastle for their base to do the movie when they could have picked, you know, Real Madrid, United, or so many other clubs. Yeah. Okay. So with that said, uh, we will wrap up this segment. And coming up next, the 
most important probably the most important business decision made in football in the 21st century. Okay, everyone, with that said, we will end part one of our Newcastle with regards to Newcastle United. Stay tuned for part two, where we will be talking on the potential takeover from Saudi Arabia and many much more topics that we will focus on.